I'm Carmen Borca Carrillo, this episode's producer. When we recorded this episode, abortion was banned in Louisiana. Minutes before publishing, a judge temporarily blocked Louisiana's abortion ban for a second time. It's great news, so long as it lasts. In this episode, you'll hear Kate and Jamia refer to Louisiana's trigger laws. Just to be clear, as of this recording, those restrictions are currently blocked. Hi, listeners. We've been tackling this post-pro reality by zooming in on stories from abortion providers and activists all around the country. If you've appreciated this season and want to dive even deeper into the history and future of abortion access in this country, go check out Katie Couric's special series, Abortion, the Body Politic. It's a nuanced exploration of the forces that have politicized this deeply personal choice and the people on the front lines of the fight for reproductive rights. Listen to Abortion, the Body Politic wherever you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, this is Mary Catherine and I am in Louisiana and I'm gonna take you on a little walk through my backyard garden. A lot of homes in Louisiana have a rosemary plant and rosemary has a special acid that helps with antiviral properties um, that helps against herpes, viruses, HIV, influenza, hepatitis. There's a lot of eggplants in this bed and Brussels sprouts are continuing to come up uh, if the caterpillars don't get them first. And lastly, all of these papaya trees and papaya eaten when they are green and unripe and the more unripe, the better can interrupt pregnancy cycle and lead to uterine contractions and help induce an abortion. I'm Kate Kelly. And I'm Jamia Wilson. And this is Ordinary Equality. This is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It's a decision that she must make for herself. From Kansas, Kentucky, and North Carolina, dedicated women marched. Abortion is fast becoming the new political fault line. Alabama's governor has signed the nation's strictest abortion ban into law. The Human Life Protection Act outlaws the procedure except when the mother's life is at risk. This bill is not about pro-life or the right to life. This bill is about control. We will not go back. And we, the people of the United States of America, documented or undocumented, are having abortions, legal or not. This court will never stop us. So, Jamia, you and I have seen our fair share of anti-abortion bills passed, especially in the last few weeks. Where do you think anti-abortion politicians and activists would draw the line? Have they drawn a line ever? I'm so glad you asked. And yes, they actually have. So this story takes place in Louisiana. Politically, it's a hell of a state, especially when you're talking about abortion rights. Well, when I think about all of the different movements and social justice and racial justice movements there, I can imagine that it's a complicated state for many reasons. And it was a trigger law state. Abortion is now totally banned, except for a judge who temporarily blocked the absolute ban when the trigger law went into place. So big picture, 
being anti-abortion is totally mainstream in Louisiana. It's the norm across the board and across the aisle. It's actually one of the few states where residents overwhelmingly say that they're anti-abortion in polling. So it's kind of a unique landscape, and it's one that Julie O'Donohue knows well. She's a senior reporter for the Louisiana Illuminator in Baton Rouge, and she's been following Louisiana politics for years. In Louisiana, it's not just Republicans that are opposed to abortion. Many Democrats are opposed to abortion. Many Democrats in high-ranking positions are opposed to abortion. The governor characterizes himself as pro-life. He has signed or voted for every abortion restriction that's ever come towards him. As governor and as a state lawmaker, he voted for every abortion restriction that came before him when he was in the state legislature. That governor is John Bell Edwards. He's a Democrat, and he's the only statewide elected official who's a Democrat in Louisiana. The anti-abortion camp in Louisiana's legislature also includes all of its female members. Every single woman serving in the Louisiana Senate is against abortion, Democrat or Republican. There aren't that many of them, but all five are opposed to abortion and, and pretty, pretty fervently. A big part of that is religion. Right. The Bayou State is religious. As an example, just a few years ago, Governor Edwards traveled with a group of nuns, the Sisters of Mercy, to Rome and had a personal audience with Pope Francis. So he's also pretty hardcore Catholic. And instead of counties, the state of Louisiana is divided into 64 parishes, which is the same word Catholics use for congregation. Basically below what we call Interstate 10, which is kind of below Baton Rouge. Almost everyone is Catholic, who I think is a church-going person, but it's a heavily Catholic state. And then north of I-10 is probably more traditionally what people think of Deep South, sort of conservative Christian values. And I do think that makes a pretty big difference. I think that's why we have a lot of anti-abortion Democrats in our state. But obviously, there's a lot more to Louisiana than their politicians. Just because the majority is anti-abortion, that doesn't mean that there isn't active resistance in the state, even in religious circles. I have a dear friend who lives in Louisiana. She's an indigenous woman and practicing Catholic who provides refuge for folks seeking abortions. She says that she's living out her faith by caring for those most in need. For safety reasons, we're going to call her Mary Catherine. My Catholic identity is really important to me. It's a big piece of who I am. You know, I have a morning prayer practice. I pray the office every morning. I journal with them. I you know, listen to you know music by Catholics as part of my prayer in the morning and in the evening. I do the Ignatian examine. And so, yeah, these practices are essential to my life and to what I do and really ground and root me in what I do and why I do it. If women were actually acknowledged for the work they do to run the church, Mary Catherine would get major accolades for what she does in her congregation. She has just about every job a Catholic woman can. She's an all-around gold star Catholic. Wow, from being an active Catholic to creating an abortion support network is a pipeline I've not heard a lot about. <laughs> right? And just to be clear, when Mary Catherine was growing up, she was definitely not aiding and abetting abortions. Growing up in the rural South, abortion was like 
the most evil of evils that a person could do. I remember when I was in high school and I found out that a friend was having an abortion and I, it just felt like a, like a witch hunt kind of thing, or like we had to do everything in our power to stop her. And so me and my friends, we were calling all of our other friends' parents because we thought that was the right thing to do. And it was so awful what we were doing rather than like supporting her in a really hard time with a really hard decision. But it was what we were taught was the right thing to do. That changed when she was in grad school in Louisiana. She was approached by a teenage girl who was pregnant and looking for aid. The girl's family would not help her. She'd been kicked out of her home and she'd been turned away by other members of her church. And so she had no place to go and she was pregnant. So I took her in. Um, she was a complete stranger to me at the time. And this was my first time really encountering this. And I felt honored that she had trusted me. She had kind of known me and walked with her through making this really hard decision. And that was a real game changer for me in terms of being able to open up my heart and my home to people who really needed support. That girl did end up getting an abortion. And from there on, Mary Catherine kept going. She met a local OBGYN who she still works with to provide pregnancy termination services. And she gives folks seeking those abortions a place to stay in her house. Most of the people who come to her are also Catholic or were raised Catholic. While people stay with Mary Catherine, many take time to discern their path and feel spiritually comfortable with their decision to terminate a pregnancy. Mary Catherine provides them what she calls spiritual accompaniment, just being a companion along that journey. What I find so compelling about Mary Catherine is that in addition to her relationship with Catholicism and spirituality, her work is also informed by her indigenous heritage. In our indigenous heritage, matters of women have always been left up to women. When the United States, when the federal government decides to take that right away from a woman, it takes away our sovereignty as a nation, our sovereignty as, as indigenous people and from our traditions. The theft of, of land also took women away from you know, medicines that we need for our reproductive health, for our health care. And so when we don't have access to the traditional plant medicines that were grown in specific regions or lands because of forced removal and genocide and forced assimilation, it takes us away from what for thousands of years women have been using to, to care for their bodies, minds, and spirits. And so that's why Mary Catherine started a garden. Yeah, I grow more than 100 different species of fruits and vegetables and herbal medicines in a garden here that's accessible to anyone in the community who comes by. This is the garden you heard Mary Catherine describing at the top of the show. And part of that garden includes a small grove of papaya trees. Ah, uh, papaya. And so I was like, okay, spirit, you know, this is like, this tree really loves this land that I get to steward. I, I always think about like, what I do in terms of supporting women who need to, to terminate pregnancy. And so I think, you know, like, how do we really go more underground and provide quality care for women who need to do this? So, you know, I learned that papaya, when it's uh, green papaya, when it's unripe, can create uterine contractions and can contribute to, to premature labor or pregnancy terminations. Mary Catherine's garden so elegantly reminds us that abortion is care. 
it's natural. Here is this beautiful garden of fruit and vegetables that can nourish us. And sometimes that nourishment might look like following the practices that our ancestors used for hundreds of years to control their own reproductive destinies. And just to be clear, we are not recommending that other people do this on their own. Mary Catherine believes in being prepared and self-reliant. It's something she does to be ready for whatever might come. Her commitment to self-reliance is so important because she lives in such an aggressively anti-choice state. In May of this year, Louisiana's House Committee on the Administration of Criminal Justice introduced House Bill 813, and it was extreme. The bill classified abortion as homicide. That means someone seeking an abortion could be charged with a crime that in Louisiana carries a life sentence without possibility of parole. And the bill left the door open to banning emergency contraception like Plan B, along with IUDs and fertility treatments like IVF, which the Catholic Church opposes. And this kind of legislation, I think, is what we've all been afraid of and been trying to warn people about, that, you know, getting rid of Roe is not the end game for them. It's the beginning. I think a lot about that Maya Angelou quote. When people show you who they are, believe them. When antis show you who they are, believe them. It's just something I've thought about a lot. I, I had friends tell me during my recent travels that they thought it was far-fetched that I thought that the Supreme Court would come for interracial marriage or contraception and that we should just really focus on Roe. And there was a lot that I had to say in order to say, oh, let me show you the actual verbiage in dissents that show you that they're coming for privacy as it relates to marginalized people. Let me show you the connections to voter suppression. Let me show you the connections to increased diversity in the country and their very keen understanding of how that changes the demographics for the voter block for them and how they want to ensure that the emerging population of mostly POC will not be able to get access. So now is time for us to trust Mother Maya. <laughs> <laughs> they have showed us who they are. We believe them and we plan accordingly and we get ahead of them. And I think this also has a lot to do with perceptions of the South and honestly, like racism and classism and bias against people who live in the South. And this feeds into the idea that these legislators aren't evil geniuses, that they don't know exactly what they're doing, that they don't have decades long plans to execute the complete demolishment of all of our rights. It's like, oh, they couldn't do that, or they're not smart enough, or, oh, they're just these dumb conservative people. And I think everyone loses when we have such ingrained stereotypes about people. These people are very, very smart. They have been chipping away for decades. None of this is an accident. I really appreciate you saying this because I am someone who was born in the South and am Southern. And I can tell you that there is regionalism at hand and stereotypes around how people think about the South and Southern voters. And I'd like to remind folks that 
the majority of the battleground state voters that we depend on are black women who come from those states. And sometimes people will talk about the South as if we're talking about another nation, <laughs> um, not the one we're in. And without acknowledging the privileges that those of us have who live in this area with politicians who align with our viewpoints. Not to say that we shouldn't stay vigilant, but I think it's just really important to understand and to really be mindful of and to also have a sense of grace and support and gratitude for what people are doing actively and what they're up against in states that have a much harder terrain to work with than the ones we have in places like New York City or DC or San Francisco. And so all of that, <laughs> we have to take that into context when we're talking about places like Louisiana and other trigger states or restricting states. Those don't exist in a vacuum. They exist for a reason. All of these things combine together to put a stranglehold on the will of the people and really limit what those courageous actors can do. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I know it's been an emotional time. Many are justifiably furious, sad, and disheartened. But of course, that doesn't mean we can stop fighting. So I want to take a minute to tell you about how you can get involved in supporting abortion access, no matter where you live. Our sponsor, Act Blue, has tools to help you support reproductive justice groups or abortion funds at every level, whether it's local or national. If you go to actblue.com directory, you can easily find local, state, and national groups to donate to, or even create your own fundraising forms. These forms are quick and simple to set up. And most importantly, they're designed to be shared with your personal networks, making it easy for you to send donation asks directly to people and groups in your own community. So take action now and head to actblue.com backslash directory. To understand why House Bill 813 was so extreme and caused such a stir in Louisiana, it's important to understand the context of the guy who introduced it, Danny McCormick. He's a freshman legislator from Oil City, Louisiana. Julie O'Donohue, the reporter from the Louisiana Illuminator, noticed a very specific dynamic between other lawmakers and Representative McCormick. He is regarded, I think, by almost everyone in the legislature as being rather extreme. Whether they use that word publicly or not is a different story. He has a very big, I guess, for lack of a better word, fan base, and he has used it to attack other legislators, including other Republicans, which has not gone over very well. People kill bills because of petty reasons, and they don't like this person, they don't like that person. And so Representative McCormick is one of those people whose bills kind of usually die because people just don't like him and they don't want to give him a win. So to be honest, I didn't pay that much attention to the bill for a while because he's just someone that, for whatever reason, is not taken that seriously by his colleagues. But this fringe bill from an unpopular legislator didn't just die. It actually advanced. I was pretty surprised the bill got out of committee, even with Louisiana's 
sort of anti-abortion stance. I kind of thought, oh, they're going to kill this in committee so that other people don't have to vote on this bill, that don't want to vote on this bill. And that's not what happened. There seemed to be universal agreement that this was like a bad bill. I'll certainly say even our women legislators who are anti-abortion have been pretty vocal about not wanting to criminalize women who are seeking abortions. Maybe not universally, but most of them have been very vocal about not wanting that to be part of this. And just to top it off, anti-abortion groups also came out in opposition to the bill. The legislature tried just about everything to avoid having a vote on this bill, because voting against an anti-abortion bill in Louisiana is not a good look. But voting for a bill that criminalizes women, that's a bridge too far. That was kind of remarkable for me sitting on the bench watching this. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen a lot of like silly things happen. But this was a pretty silly one. The other thing was the Republicans had so many meetings where they go off in a room, the caucus and talk amongst themselves about this bill. And it just seemed like, are we having this much heartburn about a bill that like virtually every organization that can rally folks is against? At the 11th hour, Governor Edwards issued a statement opposing the bill. As public backlash grew, Louisiana legislators advocated to replace the most explosive elements with language from a competing state Senate bill that did not criminalize pregnant people or contraception. As of this recording, House Bill 813 has still not been called for a vote. It's unlikely to move forward in anything close to its original form. But things still don't look good. No, they don't. With Roe overturned, even without McCormick's bill, Louisiana did automatically ban almost all abortion in the state from the moment of fertilization. The state's trigger law only allows exceptions if a pregnant person's life is in danger from a physical illness, which excludes mental health, or if they could sustain, quote, serious permanent impairment of a life-sustaining organ. No exceptions are made for situations of rape or incest. And the law says that anyone who performs an illegal abortion, including the prescription of medication that induces abortion, will face up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. (sighs) While birth control and emergency contraception like Plan B remain legal in Louisiana for now, lawmakers recently voted to criminalize online and mail-order distribution of abortion pills. While all of this is happening in the legislature and in the courts, I can't help thinking back to Mary Catherine and her work with regular people seeking care. The work she's been doing, which was already underground, already quite dangerous, just became riskier and more frightening. You know, I could be charged with murder for the ministry that I do, the ministry I provide to these women. Like, I could be charged for murder when I have, you know, this woman laying in my lap, weeping on her bed and her three kids in the, in the bedroom next door. Like, this is, what, this is what murder looks like. You know, it's, it made me feel so um, icky, criminalized, villainized, um, terrified. <laughs> it is terrifying and really infuriating to think that we're living in a time when our rights are so fundamentally violated that we have no choice but to act through clandestine means to get the care we need. 
It makes me all the more grateful that Mary Catherine is as brave as she is. And it reminds me that there's always something each of us can do. For a long time, I felt like I was doing this alone. <laughs> you know, I felt like I was on an island. I was the only one doing this. It's not something I'm, I'm super public about, primarily for safety reasons, but for the other Catholics that I've, I've talked to and women in my parish and others, it's like the talking about it makes us feel that we're not alone. I just know that I have a, I have a room in my home that's a guest room, and this is what I choose to use it for. So I think just letting others know, like, there are there are ways that you can help or support if you don't feel safe or comfortable being a public face of it or showing up in other ways. There's lots of ways you can help or support and to also be willing to push yourself to be uncomfortable in it. Um, and that's for myself, too. <laughs> there is a bottom. At some point, anti-abortion politicians and activists say no even in Louisiana, where, as we've discussed, most people are vocally anti-choice. They do draw the line, and there can be limits, and people can fight back. You and I both come from states that are very low infrastructure environments for women's rights. Like, it's dire. But even in the places where we come from, there are people resisting. There are people who are going to provide this care at you know, at great personal cost. And I think there are things that we can do, even if we don't live in those places anymore, to support those people and let them know that they're not alone. It's so important. And you're right. I mean, it enrages me that the people who are doing this important and sacred work are having to do this which is why it's even more important for us to shame the shameless for the suffering, the undue suffering that they are causing, the lack of empathy, the lack of appreciation for the life that they say that they're all about, for the destruction of life, actually, and the adding of pain and suffering to other human beings' lives that they're causing as a result of really harmful rhetoric and misinformation we do need to remember that people are resisting everyday, everyday angels, as I like to call them, like Mary Catherine, are doing sacred and important work, moving progress along, promoting care no matter what, and also showing that religion and spirituality is sacred ground for inclusion, is sacred ground for just, righteous, compassionate care and non-judgment. And I think at the heart of it, Mary Catherine helps us see really what these politicians are legislating. What representatives like Danny McCormick label as homicide is actually care. It's honoring people. And I think it's so clear when you talk to Mary Catherine. In our Catholic tradition, the, the Paschal mystery of you know life, death, and resurrection and that suffering will never have the final word. And so even if it's a hard decision, you know, like there's life that comes after it. And for these women who have to, you know, make this decision that it is new life for them that can come out of it uh, in a different way that allows them to, to live a more, a more wholesome life that's right for them without being forced into motherhood. 
or forced into having another child. At the end of our interview, she read a poem to me. It's called She Let Go by Sapphire Rose. And Mary Catherine leaves a little copy of this poem on folks' beds when they come to her house to get abortions. Here are just a few lines. She let go, she let go, without a thought or a word, she let go. She let go of the fear, she let go of the judgments, she let go of the confluence of opinions swarming around her head, she let go of the committee of indecision within her, she let go of all the right reasons. Wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry, she just let go. There was no effort, there was no struggle. It wasn't good, and it wasn't bad. It was what it was, and it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. And a smile came over her face, and a light breeze blew through her, and the sun and the moon shone forevermore. Next week on Ordinary Equality. And I left that training and we were on the flight and I was like, I think I really, really, really liked that training. And I really think that I would want to do abortions like full time. But I was just like, I don't know if I can like admit that to other people. Like, how am I going to tell my parents about that? How am I going to move forward in my conservative medical school in this conservative area? Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production. This episode was produced by Grace Lynch and Carmen Borca Carrillo. Our editor is Lindsay Cradwell. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. Big thanks to our sponsor, Act Blue.